0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 140, BGG Top 100, 50 to number one. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers for allowing us to bring you an ad-free episode.
1: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.
0: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we're having at the table together. This is Chris.
1: And this is Anthony.
0: And Anthony, we are not too far off from... I never thought we could be able to say this, but another convention is coming up.
1: Yeah, it's weird. November. It's weird. We never went to BGGCon, so... This time of year is not convention season for us, but we are going to be at PAX Unplugged in less than one month, which is weird.
0: Sure, and we hope that you are there as well. Obviously, this is going to be a new type of board gaming convention, so no one's exactly sure what it's going to look like, what it's going to be as far as the gameplay is concerned, the vendors. But everyone has a really good feel for this and a really good spirit, and PAX, with all of their conventions, I guess, throughout the world, has such a great reputation. So if you haven't already, tickets are quickly getting bought up. So please get your passes. If you're anywhere near the area or if this is even your first convention, please check it out because we do want to support the board game industry and we do want to let them know that this is what fans want. So if this sells out, we could see more of this and especially the way PAX works, there may be PAX unplugged all around the country, if not all around the world.
1: Yeah, guys, definitely hop on and we're going to be there. We do not have a super packed schedule right now. So if you're going to be there as well, hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. Um, If you're a Patreon backer, you can hit us up on Slack where we have very specific conversations about this. But we are currently planning our gaming sessions for that weekend. And we'd love to hang out with you guys if you're going to be there.
0: And there's plenty of ways to get in contact with us. As Anthony says, our Slack account is for our very generous Patreon backers that allow us to bring you an ad-free episode. So we would love to have you as part of that group. There's a conversation going on there all the time. You can hit myself, Anthony, or Jason up about anything you want to know about gaming. We're always active on the Slack site. Plus, obviously, there is, you know, our Facebook account, our Twitter, boardgamersanonymous.com, where you can reach out and connect with us via email. And of course, we're also on iTunes and Stitcher, and on YouTube. So a lot of places where you can give us reviews, send us comments. We really like to hear back from you. We want this podcast to be about you, and about your gaming, and how we can join you at the table. So please keep in contact with us. All right, so Anthony, what is actually going on in our social media? What's the question of the week?
1: All right, so I asked everybody how they handled next play selection. Do you have a list, or does it come down to whoever sells it best? So I asked this because I go to my game nights, And it's not like a regular group of friends. It's more of a public setting. So most of the time we sit there for the first 10 or 15 minutes and say, what do you guys want to play? And there's a whole lot of back and forth of everybody just shrugging their shoulders a lot and nobody actually picking a game. So how does everybody else handle this? And there were certainly some answers that were very much the same. Jerry said, awkwardly stand around until someone suggests something. Sometimes yes. that only results in more awkward moans and groans. And then he mentioned as well, my wife is the assertive one. When she's at game night, she tells people what's getting played. So that comes in handy. Robert said they have a democratic dictatorship at wow. his table. Not really sure what that means. Basically, we see how many people are attending, see what games fit that range, and we try and push the ones that haven't been played. Um, He also mentions his wife, who keeps a spreadsheet of people's attendance. Whoa. So it sounds like I need to get my wife involved.
0: <laughs> it's true. <laughs>
1: Get her to game night. Maybe that helped me out a little bit. Eric mentions picking one a day or so beforehand. And then occasionally someone will pick something that's pretty rare. I mean, this means I always have to teach the game, but it is handy for getting some random games to the table. So everybody kind of has a different approach here. I guess it kind of depends on how many people there you know and what your group looks like. If you have a group of regular friends, you can put together spreadsheets and have a rotation and all this stuff. If it's random people you don't know, it comes down to whoever has the loudest voice, which is kind of what my game group is. (laughs) It's whoever's willing to kind of jump up first and be like, we have to play this, and who's willing to sit down with them. So what about you? How do you handle it?
0: Well, I think typically for the meetups, everyone kind of sits around, looks at each other, and then tries to figure out actually how many people will be gaming that night. So If it's five minutes before or if it's five minutes after, at some point, there's just going to be one of those moments where it's like, all right, so what are we playing? And then you kind of take account for everybody. You realize that maybe you can't play a seven or eight player game or you'll look around and say, does actually anyone have a seven or eight player game? And then some people say they might have this or that. And then a couple of people groan and they go, eh, maybe not. And then eventually there's that kind of breaking moment where it's like, all right, we're going to have to do a four and a three or two fours or something like that. And like, okay, great, great, great. All right, yeah, oh, good. It breaks the tension. Everyone feels kind of like open to different options. And then everyone just kind of starts shuffling through their bag. And people just kind of like, well, I have this. And it was like, you hear nothing. Oh, I have that. Yeah, you hear nothing. You're like, I have that. Like, ooh, they have that. And then typically the first person who like almost seconds, like kind of parliamentary <laughs> procedure, like I second that board game and then. then usually that that becomes a group and then something else comes a group i know last time i was playing i saw that somebody had a game that i really wanted to play and it was like oh that's role player you got role play right he's like yeah i got role player i'm like oh i really want to play that and then i seconded it and therefore everyone kind of jumped in and then the second group was like oh all right well (laughs) what are we gonna do now and then (laughs) uh you know they kind of like try to pull something together out of the group they have. But typically my groups are really good. And occasionally there are those, I don't want to call them alpha players, but very charismatic players that typically whatever they want to play or what they drop on the table, people kind of congregate around. In one of my groups, that's our friend Chris. So when usually when he brings games, he's like, all right, we're going to play this. Everyone's like, yeah, Chris, we're totally going to play that. And then, you know, obviously there are small groups where it's like the social gamer group or those that heavy gamer group. And you just kind of like, sit in a certain area so like you're with your people so when games come out you're like no this is this is our group we'll play this thing so yeah it's definitely 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 different depending on which groups you go to but a lot of good suggestions on keeping the game night going. Alright so Anthony let's get our game night on going. So what are your acquisition disorders for this
1: week? All right. So the acquisition disorder I want to talk about is one we saw at Gen Con but did not have a chance to play. And I'm surprised you haven't mentioned it because it's at least one of the games I know is on your top 10. Vladimir Suce, So this is the designer of Shipyard, Last Will, Prodigal's Club. A lot of good stuff for CGE games. And it is his sci-fi game. It is Pulsar 2849. So this is a game in which you are obviously in the year 2849 trying to mine different minerals in space. So you're trying to basically reach these whole new levels and go into new areas of the galaxy and explore new star systems and do all sorts of cool stuff, but it's dice based. So you're going to be rolling dice every round and then drafting those dice to take actions with them. So you'll be adding spaceships to your fleet going to new star systems, tagging pulsars, all sorts of cool stuff that you would do in space. And so it kind of has that feel of 4X-ish, which most space games end up being, but with more of a euro feel because it's it's dice but it's dice action selection some people have gone as far as comparing it to roll for the galaxy i don't really see that i think it's you have dice and you have space and that's why people are saying that uh but it's definitely going to be more in the euro side of things probably gonna end up in that three weight range not super heavy but not super light and that's kind of the sweet spot for me so i'm I'm pretty excited about this i think it looks pretty cool i wish i had had a chance to play it at gen con uh, because it's the kind of game I feel like I would enjoy, but I know it's coming out here, if not Edison, very close to it towards the end of the year, and we'll see when it hits the U.S., but sometime in the next few months I'll get a chance to play this, so I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Alright, so a game that I want to talk about is a game that's actually been out for a while, but is has recently gone up for a Kickstarter release. This is Too Many Bones Undertow. This is the expansion for, of course, Too Many Bones. And it's currently a Kickstarter project, and its end date is Thursday, November 9, 2017. So, to, just to take a minor step back, Too Many Bones is a game by Chip Theory Games, and basically what you're going to look at here is you're going to look at a Dice Builder RPG. So, outstanding, wondrous components in a Euro game. So... Rare, rare, right there. You're looking at something that's a rarity as far as being able to bring high-quality components, fantasy theme, but a Euro mechanic. Now, what's interesting about the game is you are basically creating and expanding upon your character throughout the game using all of these different custom dice. So you, bu- you start building up the character sheet. Each character is unique. Typically, you have your damage dealer, you have your tank, you have your healer. And the dice, and depending on where they are placed on this really nice neoprene mat, they're going to give you special abilities and options to kind of play your character different each and every time. This is interesting because once you kind of build up that character, kind of like Roleplayer builds up a character, you'll actually get to kind of battle with these really massive dark creatures, kind of like in Marvel Legendary where there is the main menace, And there's a lot of their minions that are going to come and battle with you. But what this does is a little different is there is a little separate board in which you're going to put down these kind of poker chips in order to designate your hero characters versus the villain characters in that scenario. And you are going to tactically move your characters around, use your abilities and your attacks to knock out the other bad guys By rolling dice, they're going to roll dice as well. There's initiative in this game. So it has a lot of different elements from a lot of different games. So this expansion pretty much is more of the same. It's a one to two player game. It's kind of a little bit of a slimmed down version of it. Although with this Kickstarter, you can pick up the additional character sheets, which is really going to expand. Uh, The replay value of this game becomes in some ways almost infinite with all of the different things that come with this. So for the base game, you're going to get a $68 version, which gives you those two characters, the bad guys for there, those custom dice, those custom poker chips. But for the larger, and especially if you want to pick up the the base game, it, you're looking at something like $290, if not more, with some of the add-ons. So it becomes a very expensive game. As I said earlier, great components, RPG game, interesting artwork, a different art style than... We, typically haven't seen before it's a long game but it's one of those long games that's probably worth your investment i'm looking forward to this at some point haven't gotten the original base set to the table i know it plays one i know it plays many i know it plays for a long time but too many bones under toe looks like something that's worth checking out
1: yeah yeah i got my eyes on this one too i, I missed the first kickstarter i missed the second opportunity to order it sure missed the chance at gen con to pick it up I don't know. It's one of those weird games you just remain on the fence on forever. But still on that fence. Still hanging out.
0: Yeah, it's one of those games that because it's so long, because it uses RPGs, fantasy, dice rolling, and a lot of these custom components and a lot of table space, you typically don't see it at the game table very often. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. Now let's talk about what's actually hitting our table this week. So Anthony, what did you get to the table?
1: All right, so we just said that there are not that many space games with a the Euro theme. It's true. Here's one with the Euro theme. Kepler3042.
0: Gotcha. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is a so this is a game that was released last year at Essen, and it's from Placentia Games, which had does not have US distribution. But the reason I want to talk about it is because Renegade Game Studios picked up the license. They are releasing this at Essen, I think, next week, but th- in the US in the next couple of months. And it is a space game in which you are exploring and colonizing and terraforming, but it is a Euro. So it is not a 4X game. And there are a couple of descriptions out there that say it's a 4X game, but I will argue with them because it's very much resource management. It's very much economic. It is a pure Euro if I've ever seen one. And that is why I like it. Um, So let me tell you what it does. Kepler 3042, you have... A two boards. You have a technology board that has five different technologies on it. There's spaceflight. Um, I'm not going to remember all the names of these, but there's space flight. Basically, there's quantum something or another that lets you kind of transfer different materials between each other. There's energy production, there's terraforming, and there's antimatter. There are three different resources that you have control of. There is energy, matter, and antimatter. There's a set number of those cubes you have available to you throughout the game. You start the game with three matter and three energy, and then these different actions and technology upgrades let you gather more of those that let you take more actions. Then you have a player board with nine different actions on it, and the actions include things like build ships, move ships, generate energy, generate antimatter, build different, you know, move your ships faster, terraform planets, colonize planets, The basic idea is you're trying to build ships, move them out, increase your technology to move those ships faster, colonize different planets, get those planets, terraform those planets and get points by terraforming them. Uh, So it is very much resource management because to do all those things, there are four steps in between there. It feels like a very tight, very carefully managed game in which you never feel like you have enough resources or never have enough actions or points or (laughs) what you need to actually get anything done. But the reason I really like it is that you never actually get punished for anything. Everything's very tight and there's a lot of limitations on what you can do. But the actions and events that come up every round are generally positive. They tend to be catch up mechanics, so they benefit the people in last place, but they're never negative for anybody. The planets that you're going out to explore are random, but they never hurt you necessarily Um, They might not be what you're looking for, but it's never bad. Like if you find a planet, something good's going to come of that, even if it's not the one you're looking for. Uh, There are actions that you can take to improve your options of getting good planets and getting good resources and getting good opportunities to take these actions. So it's not like a 4X game where you go out and you're like, I'm going to explore this corner of the universe. And, oh, I died because it's a supernova that blew me up. And I'm going to go explore this corner of the universe and oh, now I die because it's a minefield of whatever. A lot of these 4X games and Zaya, (laughs) I have to mention Zaya because, oh my God, Zaya, are like this where you could feel like you're doing a lot of cool stuff and then you just die because you found something random. This one's not like that. It's very much resource management. It's designed to help you build your engine and you're always building it up. And it's all about efficiency and getting the right stuff and building a strong system and getting the right stuff in place. You only have 16 actions in the game and you have to use them efficiently to do what you're trying to do. There are bonus actions you can take where you burn off resources so they're not available anymore for you, except under a couple of very unique circumstances. That's pretty cool. It's similar to Terra Mystica where you're burning off your power and you you need to do that strategically because it makes sense to do it sometimes. But if you do it too often, you run out of power. You don't have enough for later in the game. I really, really like this game. I don't know that it's gotten super strong reviews. I know they've been positive, but not amazing. I feel like this is a very good take on sci-fi exploration in a Euro framework that Euro players really enjoy. Um, Everybody I've played it with so far has really had a blast with it. It's not super pretty to look at. If you get the Italian version, everything is in Italian and English. It's a little bit confusing. But I'm pretty excited that Renegade has their new version coming. I know they rewrote the rules, so they clarified a few things. Um, it's got some great solo rules in it that I've had a chance to go through a couple times. And, um, there's just a lot of good game here. So if you like, if you like the Euro games and you like the economic resource management aspect, this is definitely one to check out.
0: Wow. Zaya really did a number on you, huh?
1: Oh my God. That game was so bad. (laughs) I just don't get it. Like there's nothing happening. You're floating around and then you die. I just, I don't get
0: it. Well, isn't that fun in a game just to die randomly? (laughs) Just for moving?
1: No, it's horrible. Oh my God, it's like my worst game experience from the last two years. At the time, I was like, this was a bad night. Two years later, I'm like, that's still the worst night I've had in two years.
0: (laughs) Well, it's nice to see that the whole space exploration mechanic universe can actually work without being completely frustrating and shutting gamers down.
1: Yeah, turn it into a Euro and I love it. Eclipse. Eclipse is a nice middle ground. I like Eclipse too. Okay. Um, but I think I like Kepler better.
0: And then at some point, not too long from now, we'll be talking about TI4.
1: TI4, you
0: guys! We're going to be playing that knock on wood
1: at PAX. So we'll be
0: talking about it real soon. Okay. Okay, well, speaking of massive, long games, I want to talk about one of the most massive, longest, and most celebrated games for board gaming for quite some time. And of course, I gotta be talking about Through the Ages, a new story of civilization. Now, this is the new edition that came out in 2015 based on the original edition, Through the Ages, a story of civilization. This is a Vlado Shavato release by Czech Games. And this was something that had always been kind of circling around, but never landed at my table. And myself, and I know Anthony included, we're all huge civilization fans. Building up these complex civilizations over a multitude of generations is just such a fascinating and welcome addition to the board gaming universe. This came out again with a, a more streamlined, complete gameplay system. I was really excited to get to this table. Now, Through the Ages, if you haven't played this before, as I said earlier, is a civilization game based on cards. There's technologies, there's wonders, there's leaders... There's wars, there's militaries, there's a whole bunch of different things that come throughout the civilization in order to make your civilization the best. Now, basically what you start off with is you start off with your own civilization player board. This is going to give you the basics of what you're going to be building on for later on. So starting you know, early on in, in your generations, you are going to be looking at you know, the real basic agriculture and mining and philosophy and religion and warriors. And this start to your civilization is going to be the basis for everything that follows. Now, you'll notice that because on the top right of each of these printed on cards and this larger playboard is going to be a symbol that you're going to be following later on throughout the game. Because even though we'll have different technologies, a lot of technologies are based upon older original technologies now also on this board there's going to be a nice little kind of play sequence in the middle of the board and then you're going to have your resources that you're going to use in order to build up your military your farming your science your minerals and the happiness uh, that's based in the religion at least at the start of the game for your civilization and then finally you're going to have your food track and food track is going to be important because And on the bottom, you're going to have your population track where you're going to be able to get more workers to be able to build up your civilization. And on that track is also going to be food because it's going to take food in order to create workers for your different civilization buildings. There's going to be a culture board. And culture is very important in this game because culture is the victory point standard here. So throughout the civilizations, even at the very start, you are going to be given an opportunity to build culture And build actually an engine to score you more culture throughout the game. So the more cards that allow you to generate culture scores you victory points and builds you up to a final victory state. In addition to there, there's going to be a science board, which is technically going to be able to buy you bigger and better buildings later on throughout the generations. And it's something that you have to keep an eye on for because when you get to those later generations, it's all going to be about the science and they're really going to be able to kind of catapult you to first place. If you ignore the science, big problems for you. But not just the science is going to be played a big part, but also military. Now, military in this game is really interesting because it's a mechanic that's really used not only to keep you know your fellow players on their toes, but it's going to give you an opportunity to play events early on as far as politics, wars, and aggressions in order to steal resources, gain population, gain uh, island territories that are going to be able to generate you resources throughout. So it's not the typical, bang, I hit you, you lose victory points, but it's actually going to affect you throughout the game. And military is something that you're going to have to keep up. It's not like Seven Wonders where you could go military or not go military. If you don't go military in this game, you're typically going to have a lot of problems. Throughout the game, you are going to be picking up cards from a board that's kind of laid out in front of you. it's a long board and what's interesting about this and it's a typical theme you see in a lot of games is the earlier technologies and buildings are cheaper and as the game goes on the ones to the left go off the board the new ones come down become cheaper so as technology goes out there it becomes more and more available at a cheaper and cheaper price now the cards themselves are going to be really the crux of the game it's where all the beautiful artwork can be found All the different gameplay mechanics are going to happen. And it's really going to add to the, I guess, the really diverse complexity to this game. So at the start, you're going to start in the Antiquity Age and then later on move through Age 1, 2, and 3. And at the end of Age 3, once all of the cards from those different decks have come out and are gone, then the game comes to an end. You score some final victory point cards based upon wonders and other things you have left on your civilization. And that's basically it. Now, the military cards, which we talked about a little bit earlier, are going to offer a number of different ways and technologies as far as how to defeat your opponents, but also how to build up these special technologies. Don't worry. If you weren't the one who originally built them, you can actually have an opportunity the next round in the game to kind of jump on that what is now older technology in order to boost up your own troops. Now, you're going to have player markers in this game. You're going to have really nice little kind of different colorful translucent tokens that are going to mark your different things on the board and as i said as the game goes on you're just basically going through that kind of marketplace of cards which you'll be able to buy leaders wonders technologies all different types of production buildings throughout the generations and it's really going to build up your civilization and make you unique not to mention political structures so As the game goes on, you can actually build these political structures that are going to allow you to have more actions, both civic and militarily. This is really important because in order to take an action in the game, you have to have these civic actions available to you. But if you want to build up military, you obviously have to have military actions available to you as well. And there's also going to be opportunities to gain civic cards and military cards by not using those actions. So if you hold on to those tokens that's great because now you can pick up more cards that are going to kind of globally affect everyone throughout the game. But basically, when you take an action, you are going to be able to place that token on one of those different civilization cards and then pay the cost, which is typically going to be that iron coal resource throughout the game. And that's going to allow you to generate whatever the resource on the card is. But obviously, throughout the game, you're going to build better and better technologies. And then you're going to be able to at a discount from the card you built previously, be able to upgrade those workers to a better technology that's going to be more efficient than previous technologies. So as the game goes on, you are going to be pulling out population, which is going to be a little troubling to the people. So you have to be careful that they don't get too upset and go into a revolt because if they do, you're not going to be producing any type of resources for that round. So you do want to keep the people happy. That's very important throughout the game. And you want to keep an eye on your different leaders and actions. Because as the game goes on, if you're not keeping everything up to date with the different generations of technology, not only are you going to fall behind, but you're going to find, like, for example, your leader's going to die off. So you always want to have a new leader available for you throughout the game. Extremely important. So Aristotle might come into play. Bill Gates might come into play. So a lot of different historical leaders are going to offer you ways to score additional victory points, build things up throughout the game, help you with your food production or resource production, generally focus you toward a particular uh, victory point engine. As I mentioned earlier, there's gonna be wonders, and wonders are really easy to build. They'll say on the card how many resources they're going to need in order to build them, You're going to start building them and they're going to give you a a benefit throughout the game. And as I said, typically, you are going to see those benefit you throughout the game. Not just for the resource that they give you on that card, but for victory points that you will score later at the game. Because remember, wonders are all about culture for that civilization. And the more wonders that you have, the more culture that that civilization has. So the game is going to take typically, I would say, an hour to an hour and a half per person. But that time is well worth it. Now, I know that there's been a lot of people who have criticized the amount of time of this game, but this is a civilization-building game. It's supposed to be a long game. You're supposed to really feel that early decisions affect later gameplay. If you didn't upgrade your agriculture, that's going to come back to bite you later on. If you didn't upgrade your political structure, then you're, of course, not going to have the military and civic actions that you're going to need in the game. And obviously, keeping your your people happy is very much an important part of the game. So, the game goes on, as I said, an hour to an hour and a half per person. It's probably one of the most dynamic Euro-building games just based upon the number of cards that come in the game. You're going to see different events come out. You're going to see different technologies become available. And the game's going to flow in a really dynamic way. Especially, and this is my... I would say, my favorite part of the game, there's going to be a political phase at the start of each round, except for the very first round, in which you will have an opportunity to play a future event that can come into play. Now, the game starts with a couple events that are kind of, you know, shuffled up and then they'll play out, but then you'll be able to play events that will eventually come out and affect the gameplay. So that might be situations where players into a war, or that might be a situation where whoever has the most happy people gets some. You know, benefit or territory becomes available basically you're going to instruct the future based upon what you're doing in the past so that's an element to the gameplay that i typically don't see in most euro games surprised to know that through the ages a new story of civilization recently got an app so you can actually play this on the tablet which just kind of blows my mind that you'll actually get to play this game And it has a pretty solid AI. So you're going to have a challenge competing against the AI. And probably what's one of the best parts is Vlatl, the game's creator, is actually the leader card that will take you through the tutorial. And it's a pretty solid tutorial. It explains the game very well. It's actually pretty funny. And it kind of sets you up from later gameplay, which is great. Now, the app also has online multiplayer and local pass and play. And I said earlier, the AI is is decent enough to keep you a good challenge. You're going to lose some games and it has some unique skill sets. So you can actually place some AI that's really going to offer you different types of challenge based upon that particular AI. And then finally, the game has some uh, single player challenges that allow you to kind of beef up your strategies for later gameplay. So whether you play this solo versus the AI, you play with players around you or you play online... This is a fantastic app. Uh, typically, Euro games, especially games that take up typically this much table space, is kind of a mess because usually they can't fit everything on the board, and it's uh, it's it's a little challenging. I really found that this app does an outstanding job of actually laying everything out, not just in the board game format, but the app kind of takes us you know an additional step. Laying things out visually so you actually get to see the buildings being created and they become part of your landscape. But with a simple click you see all of the cards that are available to you, what you need to upgrade them and you can kind of go through the card action in order to make those changes or you can kind of drag and drop. So a lot of different ways to play this game. The board game is a buy and the app is a buy. And if you like anything about civilization games, you really owe yourself to play it. Yeah,
1: I mean, I gotta say, for the app at least, like the amount of hours I put into this so far, and the number of hours it would have taken to do that on the tabletop, good god. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a fantastic app, and it's well worth the multiple years of development that went into it. By far, one of the best apps, period, that I played, you know, for a board game in a long time. It manages to take. All this information, all this stuff on this giant, overwhelming amount of space it uses up on the tabletop and shrink it down to your tablet. I think you can even play on the phone, but I wouldn't recommend it. And it's it's just really cool. That tutorial is so funny. Like it has that Vlada sense of humor but without the dense headache inducing rule set that you tend to get with his rule books. It's just it's a, so much fun. And uh, it's it works really well whether you're playing by yourself or you're going through the tutorial again or you're playing against people pass and play or you know, async online or the huge number of challenges they put in here to run through and different types of, uh, you know, solo challenges you can go through, kind of tweak the rules a little bit. There's just so much content in this game. It's fantastic. And, you know, obviously anything, everything Chris said about the actual board game, you know, holds up as well. So both are worthwhile. Um, Both are definitely worth checking out.
0: Yeah, CGE did an outstanding job both on the board game and on the app all right so that's our at the table now to our feature review so for this week we are going to continue and finish up bgg's top 100 board games talking from games 50 to number one and we'll let you know if you should go out and buy that game if you should play that game if it hits the table if you should dodge that game because there's other games at the table and the table seems a little bit iffy about it or if you should outright burn that game. So let's get to the games. All right, Anthony, you ready to go? Let's do it. All right, Anthony, number 50, El Grande.
1: I'm so ready to go that I haven't played this.
0: Wow. (laughs) Well, get back to the table. I'm gonna let you know this is a solid play. Number 49, Roll for the Galaxy.
1: Okay, this is definitely a buy. Race for the Galaxy was always on the line for me. Roll for the Galaxy fixed all the issues I had with that. And I'm so happy to own this.
0: Yeah, this is a buy and probably one of my favorite games of all time. As you said, fixes so many things with race and so much fun. So colorful, great components. Number 48, Dead of Winter, a Crossroads game. (sighs)
1: Still just a play for me. As much as I want to love this, as much as I love the mechanisms, as as, as much as I love what they've done with the expansions, it still has not really captured me the way that I know it has for other people.
0: This game is a solid play for me. I'd love it to be a buy. It just just doesn't have enough. All right, number 47, Five Tribes.
1: Five Tribes. I avoided this for a while because you told me it was too, too much AP, but when I finally played it, I loved it and I picked it up. Uh, it's definitely a buy for me, especially with the expansions. Uh, the two bigger box expansions are fantastic and add a lot to this.
0: Yeah, this game still does have a lot of AP at the table, but still, it, it just squeaks by with a play. Number 46, Patchwork.
1: Ah, Such a cool game. (laughs) Um, I kind of fell in love with this because of the app, but I've played it so many times with other people. Um, One of my favorite two-player games and one of the goofier Rosenberg games out there, but definitely a buy for me.
0: Yeah, this is a buy for me as well. It's been such a buy for me that I've actually bought this game for other people. It's a really great way to get people into board gaming. Number 45, Dominant Species. I've
1: still only played it once. I had a blast, and I would say bye if I'd played it more, but for now it's a very strong play, but a fantastic game.
0: It's one of the wackiest looking games based upon the theme. It's a lot of cones and cubes and things like that, but it's a solid buy for me. I really love this game. Number 44, Lords of Waterdeep.
1: It's a play unless you get the expansion, and then it is definitely a buy. Ditto on that. Number 43,
0: Race for the Galaxy.
1: It used to be a buy. It dropped to a play with Roll for the Galaxy. Sorry, guys. You cannot have both of these. I mean, you can have both in your collection. I do. But uh, if you can only buy one, Roll is the one. So this is a play.
0: Yeah, Race for the Galaxy is a great game. A solid play for me. But yeah, Roll kind of rolls up on and does a little bit better. Number 42, Eldritch Hara. I haven't played it. No, I have not played it. And the Cthulhu Master is going to be quite upset with us. Number 41, Twilight Imperium 3rd Edition.
1: Haven't played it, but I bought the fourth edition, so take that as you will. Sure.
0: <laughs> I've actually signed up to play this game many times and have not got a chance to sit the table, but oh man, it looks so good. Number 40, Kalos.
1: I can't believe I haven't played this. One of my top 10 games of all time is designed by this game's designer, but I have not, somehow have not played this game.
0: This is a solid buy for me. It's a little bit meaner as far as Euro games are concerned. So just be warned about that. But a great game. Number 39, The Voyages of Marco Polo.
1: Such a strong buy for me. This is one of my top 10 games of all time. Love it every time I pull it out. Cannot wait for the expansion.
0: Yeah, ditto on this too. It's it's an outstanding game. Number 38, Keyflower.
1: Somehow have not played this either. Surprising, I know.
0: Wow. Uh, key flower is a great game at so many different player counts and is a solid play number 37 seven wonders
1: very very solid play for me uh throw a couple expansions in there it gets close to a buy
0: this is one of my top 10 games it's a buy definitely throw in the expansions with it and you won't regret it number 36 code names
1: Ah, this is a tough one. Like, this is a game everybody should have in their collection to have it. Uh, I can't give it higher than a play, but it is very unique and can be a lot of fun with the right people.
0: Yeah, this is a play, as Anthony said, because it it just does simple things so very well, but not a long-lasting game. Number 35, Time Stories.
1: Another tricky one, because you absolutely 100% must play this game. It is fantastic, and you should buy it if you can't find a copy. But you only need to play it once. So if you can find a copy, you don't have to buy it. Um, but definitely a must play.
0: I own this game and still have not got to the table yet. It seems like everyone played it out. And since it's a one and done kind of you know scenario system, I can't find a group to play this. All right, number 34, A Feast for Odin. One of my favorite Rosenberg games.
1: It's super, super puzzly. So not everybody agrees with me. But for me, it's a buy.
0: For me, it's a play. It just, it just does... It works really too hard to do something very simple. Number 33, Zulkin, the Mayan Calendar. Another
1: buy. Super complicated, puzzly euros. I love the wheel on this. It's fantastic.
0: I love the wheel on this too, but it's another play for me. It's They're just two long-standing strategies that kind of lead people to victory each and every time. Number 32, Android Netrunner.
1: Haven't had a chance to play this in depth enough to give it really much of a rating. I'd certainly want to play it. Uh, couldn't tell you to buy it, but it is very solid mechanically.
0: I hear everything good about this game, but it has not been at the tables that I've been at. Sorry. Number 31, Lahav.
1: Lahav is so cool, guys. It is super fiddly, has lots of stuff, moving lots of things around, but probably one of my top three Rosenberg games. I give this one a buy.
0: I still haven't played this game. I saw it at the table once, could not get in on the game. And from what I hear, if you play it once, you get crushed. But I still hear it's an excellent game. All right, number 30, Brass Lengths Have
1: not played the vanilla version of Brass yet. I'm looking forward to it with the new versions coming out.
0: I've played the original version of Brass and, and liked it, uh, but not much more than that. It's, it's a play. Number 29, Concordia.
1: Fell in love with this the first time I played it. Uh, Fantastic game. Have now picked up all the maps. Have not played most of those maps. But um, as you can tell, for me, it's a buy.
0: This game is a buy despite the fact that I don't own it. It's just that it comes out to the table each and every place that I go. So, yeah. Absolutely. Solid buy on Concordia. Number 28. Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island.
1: Such a fantastic adventure game. And until three months ago, I would have given this a buy. I'm going to be a little controversial and say that First Martians jumps ahead of this one. For me, that's the one I would buy if I had to pick one of these two. Uh, But it is such a strong game. If First Martians theme does not do it for you, this one's a buy. If it does, this is
0: a play. It's a solid play for me. It's a little fiddly, but it does some really interesting things as far as decision making is concerned. Number 27, Viticulture Essential Edition. Videoculture is such a great
1: game, and it's one of those solid worker placement games you can bring out for almost any group. It's such a strong play for me. I really want it to be a buy. I just haven't quite gotten to that point.
0: This game's a buy for me. It's, as as someone walking by one night said, oh, they're playing Italian Monopoly. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) not so much, but so much, so much more (laughs) better than that. All right. Solid, solid buy for me. Number 26, Food Chain Magnet.
1: Food Chain Magnet, the first time I played this, I had a miserable experience. I got destroyed. I spent an hour in the middle of the game doing nothing, and then I had to play again. I've played it now many times since. It's against all odds, and I don't typically like this kind of game. It is definitely a buy for me.
0: This is one of my favorite games. It's such a nice, crunchy Euro game, but at the same time, it's really accessible. Number 25, Orleans.
1: Orleans was surprisingly fun for me. I give it a strong play. Um, the expansions push it pretty close to buy, uh, but they are decently expensive, all those modules. So um, definitely worth checking out, though.
0: Yeah, this is a solid play for me. I haven't gotten the expansions to the table other than the little mini ones that came out really early on, so it might move up to a buy later on. But as of now, I'm pulling out of the bag just to play. Number 24, Eclipse.
1: All right, so this is one of those Euros that did the forex early on, and it does it really well. It has a lot of issues, though. It's fiddly. It's got some weird end mechanisms. The balance isn't always there, but it is a very solid game. It's definitely worth a play.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a solid, high-ranking play for me. It's so thematic. It's so epic. As you said, if it wasn't for the fiddliness and the little challenges here and there, it would be a big buy on my list. Number 23, Power Grid. Such a buy, guys. I have so many maps for this. (laughs) It's a solid play for me. It it becomes a little samey in in certain spots, but it's it's a really great game, especially with a large player count. Number 22, Star Wars Imperial Insult. All right, like
1: Descent, this one is a very solid play for me uh, from the campaign side. The skirmish side, however, is a buy if you have a group with which to play. Full disclosure, I've bought all of this because I'm a Star Wars fan, but the the game is very solid.
0: I'm a big Star Wars fan as well, but I have not picked this up, and unfortunately, I haven't played it either, so hopefully I'll get back to you soon. Number 21, Mechs versus Minions. One of the
1: top productions I've ever, ever seen. It's still just a play. The game is really good. It's still programming, though, and I, I can't give that much higher than a play just because of the mechanisms, but... Everything out of this box is just beautiful and fantastic to look at.
0: League of Legends fan, and I was shocked to see this game come out. But as Anthony said, the programming kind of brings it down to a play. But man, what a great production. Number 20, Mansions of Madness, second edition.
1: I surprised myself more than anything in the world when I picked this one up. But I played it with some friends a couple times, and it became a buy. I I don't know where that came from, but uh with the app it just becomes such a cool experience
0: Yeah, I haven't gotten down with the madness yet so i can't give you a review number 19 arkham horror the card game
1: two arkham games in a row guys i bought both of them i love both of them i don't know what's going on it's the end of the world
0: (laughs) two arkham horror games that i'm gonna have to go huh Uh, all right (laughs) that's what i would expect right but no no i haven't gotten into it yet number 18 through the ages a story of civilization this is the first edition
1: yeah i didn't play the first edition so i'm gonna skip based on the fact that i've played the newer edition first
0: yeah i haven't played the first edition but i hear the second edition's much more streamlined and people love loving it much more number 17 blood rage blood rage
1: <laughs> bye obviously it's blood rage
0: yeah, it's Eric Lang, it's Blood Rage, it's everything a Eurogamer can want for a theme game, it's everything a theme gamer can want to have a board game. Number 16, Mage Knight Board Game.
1: I absolutely love this game, it's one of my favorite games, probably top 10, but the huge caveat here, only one or two players. Don't play with three or four, then it becomes almost a dodge, I'd say, uh, but with one or two, it's a very strong buy.
0: And I'll have to say I have not played this game because since Anthony's only playing solo, I never get to the table. Number 15, Agricola.
1: So you thought this would all be buys and plays, (laughs) did you? Gotta say, guys, Agricola hasn't won me over yet. It's still a dodge. Gasp. I know.
0: (laughs) Well, I picked up the new reprint quite recently, and I still love this game. It's got to be in my top 10. Great, great game. Number 14, Great Western Trail. I still want this to be a
1: different theme. I don't know why. I really, really like the game. The mechanisms are fantastic. I can't get it myself to bring it out as much as I'd like, though. It's a very strong play. With a different theme, I think it'd be a buy for me.
0: I agree 100%, and we did not collaborate on this answer. It's a play. It, there's just something uninspired about the game, but otherwise, mechanically, it's it's such a great game. Number 13, Puerto Rico.
1: I don't know how I haven't played this yet. Wow. But I have not played this yet.
0: Jeez, man. Puerto Rico is one of the best games of all time. It's set on the top 100 list forever. You should really go out and play Puerto Rico. Number 12, War of the Ring 2nd Edition.
1: This is my number one game, period. So definitely a buy.
0: All right. This is definitely up there for me as well. This is one of my top 10 games. It's a buy that you will absolutely positively not regret, whether you're a Lord of the Rings fan or not. Number 11, Caverna, the K Farmers.
1: Yeah, we gave this one our number one in our top 100 a couple years ago. Um, It's still up there for me. Um, Very strong buy. I don't get it to the table as much as I'd like, but it is a whole lot of fun.
0: Yeah, this is the one game that, as you said, since it is a little bit longer and, and since it is a table hog, doesn't hit the table so much, but it always comes up in conversation at game night. And it's one of the best games of all time. Number 10, The Castles of Burgundy.
1: The easiest Feld for me to get to the table, period. People will play it, even if they don't like Feld games. Strong by, along with a lot of his games, but this is the strongest of them.
0: I think I'm going to say this a lot, so hopefully you don't get bored of this. But once again, one of the best games of all time, and and probably one of the best Feld games of all time. Number 9, Seven Wonders Duel.
1: I don't know that it belongs number nine on the BGG list, but as a two-player game, it is one of my favorites and one of the ones that's easiest to get out. I wish there were more cards in the box, but just based on the sheer number of plays and how often it gets out and how much I love it, I give it a buy.
0: Yeah, this is a high buy. Once again, it might be in my top ten list just because it does everything the Seven Wonders does, but even better if that was possible. And hopefully with future expansions, it adds a little more variety to the game. Number eight, Scythe.
1: Such a strong game, guys. Chris called it three years ago. This is one of those games that, of course, it did well, but it did even better than we expected. So it's a buy for me.
0: Yep. This was such a phenomenal production, such a phenomenal game. It really does everything so so well. And it's so exciting to get this game to the table each and every time. Definitely in my top 10 list. Solid, solid buy. Number seven, Terra Mystica. Probably my top rated Euro.
1: Um, that comes with little wooden bits. Although I'm very excited for Gaia Project, which is Terra Mystica in space with solo rules. Um, but for now, this is definitely one of my strongest Euro buys.
0: Yeah, I like this game a lot. It gets a it gets a solid play for me, just because there there is a couple of situations where the game bogs down a little bit on AP. Number six, Terraforming Mars. Oh, man. One of my favorite
1: games in the last two years, hands down. I've played it. 30 or 40 times at this point. Love, love, love this game. Why? Why is the production not better? <laughs> I cannot handle this. I give it a reluctant buy, but it's still hard after all this time, even with all those plays, uh, to tell you to go spend $70 on this game with the crappy components.
0: Yeah, this game is a high buy for me as well. It's one of my favorite games. But as Anthony said, the production's so bad, it actually interferes with gameplay number five star wars rebellion
1: i've actually owned this for a little while i have not gotten a chance to play this in full got a couple of practice plays in but i can't give it a good rating yet it looks awesome though
0: this is definitely a buy great production great storytelling and really interesting mechanics come into this game really well deserving the spot it's in number four gloomhaven
1: somehow a dungeon crawl got into my top five of all time uh, this game, I did back it on Kickstarter, but it still came out of nowhere. I didn't expect it to be this good. This is a super strong buy. If you backed it, good on you.
0: I didn't back it. and really feeling, feeling the kind of the burden there, <laughs> so I can't talk about it, but looks great. Number three, Twilight Struggle.
1: I uh, played this a few times, owned it for a little while, got rid of it. Uh, I give it a play, but it's very long. It's very convoluted. It's hard to teach. Uh, I feel like it's best for people who play it a lot
0: sure still have not played this game hope to pick it up someday soon number two through the ages a new story of civilization
1: yeah everything Chris said today on the podcast I agree with so this yeah. is a buy.
0: <laughs> yeah it's definitely my top 10 games great production great civilization building game phenomenal phenomenal game and the number one game for BGG's top 100 Pandemic Legacy Season 1
1: I had an amazing experience playing this game. Now, if someone argues that this shouldn't be on this list, I would agree. But because it is on this list, I gave it a 10 because that's the experience I had. Fantastic. And the week you're listening to this, if you're downloading it as it comes out, uh, Pandemic Legacy Season 2 is coming out. So I'll be playing that very soon. Very excited.
0: No, have not gotten this game to the table yet. Hope to play it some point soon. From what I hear, it's deserving of its number one ranking on the BGD's Top 100. So there you go. The Top 100 Games for Board Game Geek and our reviews. Hopefully that will help guide your purchases on the future and when one of these Top 100 Games gets to the table, whether you should buy it, play it, dodge it, or just kind of run out of there screaming. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.